The Restoration and Empowerment for Social Transition Center is a Peel Region nonprofit organization serving BIPOC youth who are either experiencing or are at risk of experiencing homelessness, supporting them to change their story, discover new possibilities, and shelter dignity. This podcast, Homelessness and Hiding Our Youth Between the Cracks, is an uncensored discussion of content that may not be appropriate for all listeners. Personal discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to Homelessness in Hiding, Our Youth Between the Cracks, a podcast discussing youth homelessness in our communities while elevating the voices of those with lived experience and the people on the front lines fighting against it. In this episode, we talk about the current state of Black youth homelessness in Peel, the inner workings of rest centers, and how we strive to serve over 200 youth in our care. I'm Maya Moniz, your host for this episode, and today I sit with a couple co-workers of mine at rest to talk about what's going on with Black youth homelessness in the region of Peel at the tail end of 2022. First is Nikima Leslie, our program manager. She breaks down how the needs of her clients have shifted in recent months and how she views youth homelessness now. Hello, Nikima. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing this morning? Hi, Maya. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, it's a gloomy day today, and so. I know. <laughs> well, I've decided to turn my back. With the gloom today. <laughs> My curtains are definitely closed. Um, <laughs> well, enough about the weather. Um, we're here to talk about rest and how our dynamics have changed with our clients lately. But first, before we can get into that, can you please introduce yourself and your connection to the topic of Black youth homelessness in Peel? Okay, so my name is Nakima Leslie. I am the program manager here at Rest Centers, and I'm connected to the topic of Black youth homelessness in Peel because we are actually the only B3 organization operating in Peel. So we are Black-led, Black-focused, and Black-serving. I am also more connected in the sense that my responsibility here is to ensure that we design, implement, monitor, and evaluate our program in accordance with what our mandates are, or missions are, and the expectations of our funders, of course, meeting the needs of our clients. And so can you tell us a little more about that specifically, whether that looks like what a day-to-day looks like for you, or maybe in the context of, say, planning an event or putting together some programming? Okay, well, we, I mean, there's no, there are no two similar days. So each day is a very exciting day. (laughs) Um, Each day presents a different challenge. But generally speaking, it looks at getting our youth involved by trying to get their feedback in or in able to adequately design our programs to ensure that we are in fact meeting their needs. Um, It means looking day to day at where we are in terms of our achievements based on the targets that would have been set, evaluating whether the the mechanisms that we're using to connect with or provide service delivery to our clients are in fact effective. And of course, going back to the drawing board if we do need to. So it's a whole process, it's like a 360 process. So we include our staff, we include our, our clients, we of course have to include our stakeholders as well. And I have actually a little bit of a question for that. I hear the term stakeholders often in this space, but I've never fully understood what that term means. Every time I try to research it, I get something different. Could you give a really 
brief rundown of what it means to be a stakeholder? A stakeholder is essentially someone who is invested, who is needed, who provides some kind of support, some kind of piece of the puzzle, Mm. (laughs) to put it simply. So in our context, our stakeholders would would include community members because we want those persons to be able to come on board and be bridge builders where they're providing housing at lower than market rate um, cost to our clients. So we also have stakeholders who will fall within the business sector. So those are individuals or businesses that are actively partnering with us, right? Or who provide services that could impact our youth, right? So you have actual and you have potential stakeholders. There are also stakeholders in um, the wider community or churches. We desperately need them to come on board because they have a wide network, large number of congregants who really need to know what's happening with respect to youth homelessness in PA region. Importantly, we have other stakeholders who are in the sector, so other partners, other persons who are working towards a common goal um, within the sector um, who are you know, having similar objectives as we are. They may not be focused on the same population, but they include the population that we are focusing on and critically, the political directorate is another crucial stakeholder in this business of addressing homelessness. Because if we do not have the policies, if we do not have the support, then much of what we need in order to advance our, our activities and to ensure that our impact is actually being made and that we even get the wide community support that we are looking for, our political representatives need to be on board and need to provide that framework for not only REST, but all others who are actively in the business of solving youth homelessness, preventing youth homelessness, to actually achieve what we want to achieve. Mm, okay, that was actually so a really good- I hope good... that helps. No, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much. Speaking to the end of, we need to get more people involved and we need more people to know about what's happening regarding Black youth homelessness in Peel, I wanna ask you, with that in mind, what are you hoping to get out of our conversation today? Well, Maya, to be honest, I'm looking for two things. I'm looking to re-educate the miseducated, and I'm looking to get more partnerships, more stakeholders on board. It doesn't matter what you're coming with. It doesn't have to be anything significant. It can be a small contribution. It can be cash. It can be your volunteer services. It can be a home. It can be just being able to open another door. But those would be my primary objectives today. We'll definitely have some information in the description about how you can get involved as a listener. And honestly, Nikim is right. Like you, you don't need any special skills. You don't need any particular background. Like I'm a youth with lived experience, but a year ago, I didn't know what I was doing. And now I run a successful podcast. So really, um, <laughs> the only way the only way forward is up. So come yeah. on over. And we'll show you the ropes. <laughs> exactly. Um, so that said, diving in, what did you, Nikima, know about? youth homelessness before your time with rest or before otherwise getting involved in activism? Uh, To be honest with you, Maya, before I had a lot of um, misconceptions. I made maybe some assumptions 
I was not, I was always compassionate towards um, persons facing youth homelessness, but where I was from, um, I'm from Jamaica, right? And um, when we look at homelessness, we would see homelessness really, and as persons, you know, living on the streets. So um, somebody in a home, you know, like here, we would say, okay, they're in um, children's needs services. We would not necessarily, or I personally would not necessarily immediately think homelessness in that sense. Now, since joining REST and even preparing myself before, because I was with another entity here in Canada that did focus on supporting homelessness, and that even opened my eyes much more to the complexities of it. But then that was with adult men. Now I'm dealing with youth in particular, and more so black youth, and understanding the challenges that the system itself creates for the specific population, understanding how cultural influences and factors contribute to this situation, understanding just how vulnerable and how fragile one could move, a youth could move from being properly housed to absolute homelessness in a literal blink of an eye. It has caused me to really rethink well, I wouldn't say rethink, but think harder has caused me to be far more passionate to ensure that I re-educate the miseducated because I too might have been undereducated at a point, right? So that's, I, I think for me, it has been a learning curve having seen some of the instances which if you allow me to share, um, we have seen clients who, for reasons outside of their control, their parent passed. Mm -hmm. And because they're, they're youth who are youth contributing to society, they're not providing, they're, they're not in any legal issues, they're going to school. But parents who were the um, breadwinners are now out of the picture. Nobody asks for a parent to die. But that parent dies and the, the youth become evicted. Who thinks of that? Who stops to consider that, hey, in an actual wink of an eye, I could actually become homeless? And to connect with our, our community. If you look in the news right now, so many persons are facing issues where they may have bought their homes, they're unable to pay mortgage, different reasons and they're ending up having to go into shelters, whether it's for three months, whether it's for four weeks. But in that space of time, you are in fact homeless. So for me, it has been a, a, an eye-opener because I'm seeing so many different perspectives and vulnerabilities that many of us have not considered. I really appreciate you sharing your perspective on that. and even the anecdote as well with, or rather the example of what if a youth's parents has passed. 
because I, I also agree that, that that's something that I personally hadn't considered and that that fully surprised me because being, just like being a youth um, from like the child welfare system, it's like I know why I was in there. I know why some other people were in there, but that was that was a new one for me and that was definitely something that surprised me and almost makes me a little upset that I didn't think about it sooner, but I'm going to give myself that grace because <laughs> who thinks of that? And I guess that's the whole nobody point of our conversation. That. That's, the th- that's the thing, Maya, nobody thinks of, and there are other examples that would just literally blow your mind. And when you get calls from youth, and, 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 and I'm saying this to say, it's not easy for us to assume that black youth homelessness in particular isn't happening because we're not seeing them on the streets. Mm-hmm. They're not on the streets because from a cultural perspective, the, the, the pride and everything that comes with much of the upbringing, and I'm not saying other cultures are not proud, right? But I know for a fact that within the black community, Persons would find some way, somehow, to keep this under wraps. Mm. So, a youth is there homeless, and this is this was another eye opener for me. You're there going to school. You're there working shoulder to shoulder with somebody not knowing that that person is actually going home to somebody's couch. That person turns up to work or to school every day of the week, but three or more days of the week, they're sleeping in different spaces. Mm-hmm. And like, I actually, I have a story for this as well. I'm, I'm not going to tell it in remotely any form of detail because it is not my story to tell, but I do know somebody who was in this exact situation where they were kicked out of their home and for their entire last semester of school, of like high school, um, Mm -hmm. they were 18 at this point, but even still, their entire last semester of high school, um, they were just, I think they were renting from like a friend of a friend's, like a bedroom in a friend of a friend's house or something. Um, And they specifically did not tell anybody anything because they didn't want to make it worse for themselves like they didn't mm-hmm. want to draw attention to it they didn't mm-hmm. want to be they didn't want to be the person who who was homeless or who was k- kicked out by their parents or who was couch surfing or who was renting like as soon as they exactly. could right like and, and this has a lot to do with the stigma that we attach with the word homelessness because we are assuming that homelessness means unworthy, useless, no goals, dirty, drugs, or other substance abuse, sexual um, improprieties and whatnot, it does not always equate. And from my work here at REST, I've come to realize that I... the, the, the <laughs> Maya, the, 
the youth we have in this program and the challenges that I've seen them face, and I'm not saying situations where they were possibly, you know, maybe their approach or whatever, you know, because it's, it's always two sides. Mm-hmm. But when you when you when you look at the fact that just recently we were able and you were there to host an event awarding 25 youth who are pursuing educational path in some of our top instit- educational institutions, it goes without saying that there's no element of worthlessness. These are youth who are crying for help, who need help, who would want the society to see them as ordinary persons faced with challenges just like any of us in our homes. We have our teenagers, we have our youth, we have even adults living in our homes, and there are challenges because there will be conflict. But they want that opportunity for a fresh start, a new start, a new perspective, not to be blasted or bandaged with something that they are not, but to give them that opportunity to grow and to flourish. Thank and you. And this for is that. why I'm calling on all our stakeholders, starting from the very top, our mayor or premier everyone to really take an intent and intentional focus on solving this problem collectively. Yes, there are supports. I'm not going to say there are not supports being provided, but there's much more that needs to be done if we're to really hit the root cause of the situations that we're in. Thank you for that, Nikima. I think that's a really, that's a good call out right there. <laughs> well, I'm calling in. I learned recently at, um, I went to the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness um, Conference. And I forgot her, I don't know, I'm so sorry, but I forgot her name, but she's from the US. And she's urging us to not look at it as a call out. So what I'm actually doing is calling in mm. supports. So this is not to put anyone on the spot, but I'm calling, I'm inviting persons, come, let's sit together and really map this thing out. Mm, I like that. I like that frame of mind because it kind of comes down to like an old saying or it's like you'll always catch more flies with honey than vinegar. Um, (laughs) but, But, you know, just look at this in general. It's like this is... This is a problem that affects all of us. It's something that we should all come together to solve and we're gonna have the most success by coming together to solve it. Yep, mm-hmm. absolutely. Like it takes, in Jamaica, we have a saying it takes a village to, to raise a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and I firmly believe that. And I think it's it's um, it's not just in Jamaica, I know it's elsewhere, but that's where I'm from. So I have to draw on that, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's, that's absolutely what we need right now. Greater levels of collaboration and intentional action. Mm-hmm. So on the note of intentional action, I think with intentional action comes a thing on which to act. And so what does Black youth homelessness look like in Peel right now? How have our numbers shifted 
since your time with REST? <laughs> well, I can provide you with one very clear, distinct stat, which is that since I've been with REST just since May of this year, um, but between April, so quarter one would be April to June, and then quarter two would be July to September, we saw a massive and exponential increase in the number of youth reaching out for support, the number of persons who we had intakes for. So we moved from, we moved a whole 212%. That was the increase wow. that took place. Yes. I don't even think I knew that. Wow. And I can tell, and I can tell you that since September, we have had more persons coming in. What we're finding too is that well, what I'm going to call whole families. So instead of an individual youth coming in, it's three siblings, four siblings, two siblings mm. that are being affected. You ask what it looks like. It looks very bleak if we're not able to change the, 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 the conversation quickly or the mindset quickly. When we connect with places such as our churches, where we are drawing on what we believe is the good faith and love of the people for each other. When we connect through our outreaches in the malls, when we connect through direct emails and whatever other mechanisms we use to connect, it's because we are seeing what's happening and are appealing for help for our youth. If you go there right now to rent, I I earn, I'm, I'm, I can't complain about my earnings. I, I, mean, I mean, if my boss is listening, I could take a raise, I will not refuse it. But <laughs> I, I, I'm not saying right now I'm suffering or that, um, you know, I'm having great issues financially. And when I look at what I'm able to do, versus a, one of the youth in our program and I and I'm like oh my god how does this person do it how will they be able to do it rental costs are going through the roof well they've been through the roof and there is nothing that's seemingly being done to cauterize the situation more and more people are unable, more and more working people are unable to afford rent, much more a youth who is has no family supports, maybe exiting um, you know, CAS, going to school, trying to eat, and having to find a roof to cover their head at night. Think about that. A youth exiting CAS might be stigmatized. Maya, you spoke to the fact that you were there. Mm-hmm. But ordinary persons thinking, we think, oh, these, these youth get into CAS maybe because they did this, they did that. But there's so much more behind why these things happen. And if I'm appealing to persons out there, Call us, visit us, 
we have abundant stories that we can share. It's understandable that many of our youth, not just for rest, but in other sectors, do not necessarily want to show their faces or attach their face to their story. And again, it's the society that causes this fear. Because oftentimes, rather than seeing the need to, to stretch a hand, we connect the face and then this person's story becomes their life. So rather than seeing a person in need, we see a person with a story that they really want to move beyond. I think this is something that we really have to speak about and be more forceful about. And again, because of where I sat before, where I'm like, you know, oh, I don't see anything. And, you know, it's all good. It's all nice and dandy out there. Nothing is happening in Peel, you know, because Peel is the only space I've lived in. Oh, yeah, the youth are coming and going, you know, all is well. Uh, things good, as we say in Jamaica. But then when you understand what's happening, it's a real eye-opener. Mm -hmm. I've sat in this very chair that I'm speaking with you, and I've had conversation with you that literally brought me to tears. I've been crying in front of them because I, you know, I have to try to make it be as strong as I can for them. But there were conversations I've had on the phone. And I understand the, the two sides because I've had conversations with parents who are like, I need help. And this is something else that I'm appealing to or the powers that be, if you mean, around mental health supports for her youths. I've had parents begging, can you please help me to get this child out because I cannot. And the support services, it's either too much, there's too, red, too much red tape, the process is too long. It's this, it's that, much more a youth alone navigating all of that for themselves. It's frustrating for us as adults who are well-learned and well-situated. What more of a youth who might no, no longer have a, a youth worker, but has to be out there trying to navigate all of these, the different hurdles that they come across simply being of a particular identity, whether it be black, whether it be indigenous, person of color, homosexual, whatever it might be. Before we continue our 2022 Youth Homelessness Wrap-Up, I want to take a moment to touch base with you, the listener. If you're interested in joining the conversation, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube so we can hear your thoughts on today's episode and you can let us know what you want to see in the future. I also want to let you know that thanks to your generous support, the Rest Center's Christmas Cure campaign blessed 52 of our youth with the Christmas spirit this holiday season. Our youth felt safe, united, and understood because of your time, donations, and additional support. And for that, we cannot express nearly enough gratitude. On behalf of Rest Centers and its board of directors, we would like to thank all of our donors, corporate sponsors, community partners, volunteers, and staff for making the 2022 Christmas Cure campaign a huge success. To learn more about our campaign, head on over to our social media to see our coverage of the event and stay tuned for our upcoming 2022 Impact Report. We shelter dignity this holiday season, and we shelter dignity because of you. REST provides a wide variety of services that center around shelter, living, healing, and growing. 
Our biggest flagship program is the Bridge of Hope, a socially innovative approach to preventing youth homelessness. In collaboration with our bridge builders, the landlords we work with to house and build the capacity for youth to live independently. The Bridge of Hope program provides youth with a sense of belonging that can only be found in a stable home. We are always looking for new bridge builders, so if you have extra space for rent and are interested in housing youth in need, or if you want to otherwise volunteer with Rest Centers, send an email to info at restcenters.org. That's I-N-F-O at R-E-S-T-C-E-N-T-R-E-S dot org to learn how you can get involved. In addition to volunteer membership, Rest Centers is able to support Youth in Peel through the generous donations of the community. When you donate to Rest Centers, you help us provide rental subsidies to secure affordable housing for youth, provide grocery cards to reduce food insecurity, and provide life skill training to increase the youth's capacity to live independently. Your donation additionally supports youth access to counseling, tenant education, financial literacy training, home economics training, and mentor and employment opportunities. If you want to support Rest Centers with a financial donation, please see the link in the bio for more details. If you want to stay in the loop about what Rest is doing to help our community shelter dignity and support youth experiencing homelessness, you can get to know us on LinkedIn or subscribe to the Rest Centers newsletter for updates. And most importantly, if you are a youth in Peel experiencing or are at risk of experiencing homelessness, we are here to help. Give us a call at 905-863-1118 to get in touch. Now, back to the episode. Next is Jackie Henry, who shares her experiences working with youth in London, England, what it was like for her to learn about the unique intersection of youth and homelessness, and where she thinks we can all spend more effort for the sake of our youth. Hello, Jackie. Welcome to the podcast. It's a privilege to have you. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you for asking. And how are you doing? I'm doing well. We are just talking off the record that with me, it's never a dull moment, but I'm doing good and I'm really happy to be here. And again, thank you for your time. I know you're super busy. I know you've got a lot going on, but I'm really excited for you to share your perspective with us today. And so I'm, I'm here gassing you up, but I'm no one knows who you are because you're so secretive. So I'm gonna ask you to please introduce yourself and your connection to the topic of black youth homelessness in Peel and around the world. Sure, I can do that. So as you've already uh, let our audience know, my name is Jackie Henry. I have worked in youth work for many decades now, um, beginning in the United Kingdom, where I ran my own nonprofit organization. Um, We had been um, the recipients of the Millennial Fellowship Award which allowed people to get funding for ideas that they wanted to do with young people, particularly in urban areas. So I had a project called Jump UK, which was really working with youth, particularly those coming from gangs and from low income marginalized groups and helping them to train as youth workers, helping them to train as peer mentors, and then sending them back into their communities, communities that produce them, uh, to work with young people. So they would work in schools, uh, youth projects, that kind of thing. And uh, they would maybe teach music or teach art or dance, various different um, activities. So 
that was the work that uh, happened in the UK and it was highly acclaimed. We won all sorts of awards and things. So it was a really good time. Um, during that time, I actually brought some young people here um, and as I had done with other parts of the world for them to you know, bring the qualities, the talents that they have to other young people in other parts of the world. So that included places like South Africa, Spain, um, America, and of course, Canada. While I was here, I got into some discussions with some organizations and uh, the opportunity uh, was made available for me to come back and to work sort of as a consultant with some of these organizations. So fast forward, I'm here in Canada and I meet the founder of the REST organization, Dag McCoy who um, talks to me about coming on alongside and supporting the work that she's doing. So I initially was a volunteer, but eventually became uh, more ingrained in the work of the organization. And um, currently I am really working with the Bridge of Hope program, which um, as you may or may not know, is the main part of what we do uh, it's about the sort of meat and potatoes of this organization, which is really to get youth sheltered, have them have that security, and obviously provide the corresponding wraparound supports that would allow them to um, live their best lives. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's I'm okay. Sorry. <laughs> it's totally fine. Do you need to take that or is it okay? No, it's fine. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, you're so cool. <laughs> I did not know about a lot of that. And mm -hmm. so I am in even more awe. So thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for sharing and for your work. Actually, a, a question for you. Um, mm. It's definitely a little personal and self-indulgent, but you spoke to it a bit already. But how did you and Dagma meet, if you can get into any more specifics about that? Sure. So uh, Dagma was looking for some help, some speciality help uh, with REST. She had received the funding to have somebody come in and to do some marketing development and to also help with the fundraising uh, for the organization. And a friend of hers, I believe from church, I knew from the UK and uh, this friend whose name I can't reveal because you know there may be a privacy issue there of course um had um told Dagma about me she told her about the organization that I I ran in the UK and also that I had a marketing background because I I am still a, a member of the Chartered Institute of Marketeers in the UK so with me having the sort of non-profit charitable experience as well as the professional knowledge around marketing um, she she thought I'd be the ideal candidate for what Dagma uh, was looking for so Dagma reached out to me and uh, I remember we had a very nice cup of tea <laughs> at a cafe <laughs> in Brampton and um, you know it was really amazing to hear her vision and you know the passion that she had for the young people she also and he's always, always happy to tell her story and her journey that led her to where she is now and why she's so, um, you know, desiring to, to make this kind of impact amongst youth with this particular need. So 
that was how we met. That was the context in which we met, yes. Thank you for that backstory. I'm always excited to hear more about like all the inner workings because so many of us in REST have known each other for quite some time. I've only been kind of floating around for about a year, year and a half, but that's definitely the connection that we a lot of us have. Or it's, it's really palpable. And so really, thank you for sharing that. If you are interested in hearing more about um, our founder Dagma's story, uh, he's episode one. And it's a really good discussion, but I, I hate recommending it because I hate listening to that episode because I hate how I am in that episode. So I'm going to direct you there because it's great and important information, but I apologize in advance for how nervous I am. <laughs> Early days, was it? Yes. Oh, gosh. I, I listened to that episode and I hear all of my nervous tics and all of my nervous tendencies. And I'm sure someone listening to it would kind of not really notice but for me oh, it's hard for me to go back to the early episodes but that said enough about me that's what episode one's for <laughs> um but then i'll start off with my first question for you jackie and that is before your time working with youth in general and later on with rest what knowledge did you have about youth homelessness uh virtually none at all um i was very fortunate to have been brought up with a great deal of stability um, and that included um, shelter stability. However, when I reflect, I probably had more understanding of it than I realized. I just didn't understand it as youth homelessness at the time. Mm. So to be clear then, I grew up in London, England with a youngest of seven siblings and we grew up in an eight bedroom house. So housing was not a problem we were very comfortably situated however throughout most of my childhood and teen years there was always somebody else living in our home and this would normally be you know a friend of a brother or a friend of a sister or somebody from church but we would have young people who would find themselves precariously housed and my parents would always um, open up their home to them so in fact i probably observed youth homelessness for most of my life i just like i said hadn't processed it in my head as youth homelessness but indeed that's exactly what it was wow that's actually that's really interesting to know because that speaks a lot to you know what we call hidden homelessness right just mm -hmm. the, um to define it essentially is just not having a prospect of safe affordable self-affirming housing and so it's a lot of couch surfing it's a lot of staying with friends spending a lot of money on hotels motels sleeping out of your car stuff like that um so that's actually really interesting though that you were so exposed to it from a younger age and that does lead into another question i have what surprised you reflecting on your life experiences and having witnessed what you witnessed when you put the dots together so um it's like I said, because I didn't recognize that as youth homelessness, I wouldn't have kind of processed it that way. Mm -hmm. But let me tell you about what surprised me as I began working with REST. Um, I am sometimes the first port of call for these young people. And hearing their stories and the steps that led them into homelessness was quite disturbing for me um it's it's not um something that i think people can 
ever imagine. It solely is somebody who tells you that you really understand that, you know, people may be in homes where they are not safe. So they're in their parental home and they're not safe. Or, you know, they are a refugee who was just sort of sent here by their parents when they were 12 and they were in foster care. And now they have to leave and go into, um, into uh, you know, find their own sort of housing. Or you may have another, and I'm talking about actual cases, but obviously no names are involved. Please, of course. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, where um, there were five children in the family, so including twins, and their mum lost their home and basically um, told them not to come home from school, but just to ask a friend to take them in. And so they all went home with friends from school that day, you know, no clothes, no anything. Mm -hmm. um, and their mum basically said, you know, don't, you know, alert the authorities. Um, I'll try and figure something out. But of course, the parents of the children that had taken her children home did, in fact, alert the authorities. And so all five siblings went into the um, uh, CAS um, for housing and for, you know, that sort of overall kind of care and support that they give as an organization so you know again i was there as each one of those kids um, got to the age of 18 and had to find themselves housing um but it's just you know discovering the dysfunction discovering the life setbacks that you know will cause these young people these children to then have to deal with homelessness and to deal with that insecurity. Um, it was it was very disturbing for me, um, very sad. Um, like I said, listening to the stories, I began to appreciate much more um, what having a loving family and the stability that I grew up with, realised, you know, just how important that is. Yeah, wow, that's... Mm. Something you said really got me, and it was along the lines of, and this is not at all to put any sort of shame or judgment or bias on or against the mother in the situation at all, but it was really interesting to me um, that she told her children not to say anything, and it's because mm -hmm. she knew what would happen, and honestly, mm -hmm. like, for the sake of like time and for the sake of privacy, I'm not going to get into specifics, but that is... A mantra that I've heard as well to not say certain things mm. and especially like, growing up in the system I knew that like there would be certain things that I could say mm. and then there were things that I couldn't say if I didn't want certain things to happen and so it was a lot of for lack of a better phrase picking and choosing your battles but then just hearing that and how high the stakes are what that really kind of made me think of was something that you and I have talked about a little bit off the record and that is just the idea of mental health and mm. youth together mm. because mm. I just I know that I won't ask for ages or anything but just thinking about the youngest child in that family unit being told don't say anything about this even though you're scared you can't say anything about this I just I can't imagine how hard it is to kind of interact with that 
Yeah, and I mean, you have to think about the fact that uh, this this is this is um, a traumatic experience. But unfortunately, it wasn't the first time that it had happened. Mm. Um, they said that you know they they never whenever they used to get a new home, they would never put things on the wall and really settle mm. because they knew it'd only be a matter of time before mum wouldn't have paid the landlord and they would be evicted and you know that kind of stuff. So lots and lots of trauma around that and it's interesting because they become so um precious about having shelter they become so precious about having that space to call their own and i've i can think of one of the siblings who you know just because of circumstances had to move from where they had been settled and it was traumatic for them because that kind of, you know, it triggered them and reminded them of their childhood of just kind of moving around, moving around, moving around with mum. Mm. Now, interestingly enough, um, I think you're absolutely right. There is this very strong connection between um, housing and mental health because mum's um, personality, mum's behaviour was often you know extremes uh she she uh, vacillated quite a bit um and they were never sure you know what kind of mood she might be in when she came home and um coming from that particular cultural um community i think that there was a lot of lack of understanding around mental health um people would not have recognize her behavior as having poor mental health but I think from what they described that's exactly what was going on and so I think that because there are these people who are not diagnosed who aren't getting the help that they need um, because of childhood trauma they may have experienced they then produce these children and they have these kids and they themselves find that they're not able to provide that emotional support and stability for their children because they've never had it themselves. I really like how you phrase that, actually, because it's hard to embody something and to facilitate something that you yourself have never experienced. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So if you don't know how family life works, you know, it's very hard to then introduce certain things. So, for example, there was, you know, at certain ages, certain things were introduced and you're this age now, so you should be doing this and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I, I find that a lot of the young people that we work with here in REST don't have that um, grounding. They don't have that socialization um, that I think would give them a sense of confidence. And then the other thing is, so much of who we are is in our identity mm -hmm. and i think that because again coming from the sort of circumstances that a lot of these young people have come from their lack of self-identity um leaves a lot of things unhinged in their lives so you know to me when we are trying to find these young people housing it's not purely a practical thing but it's it's far more than that it's about helping them to come to a sense of who they are, have that self-awareness, have that sense of, you know, I matter. 
um, and to deal with some of their issues because if they don't get support, don't get these things addressed, they may end up developing aspects, mental health aspects, which they then will pass on to, you know, maybe their children. So, you know, it's it's really providing holistic support and um, really listening to the clients um, because, like I said, you know, they may be saying, I need housing, but what they're really saying is, is that I need peace, I need rest, I need a break from trauma and from disruption and from, you know, just having a hard time or a hard in-flight um, experience when it comes to life. But yeah, I really appreciate that perspective because it's kind of bringing to mind, um, you know, like just some of the discussions we've had in staff meetings, for example, about, mm. I guess, finding a way to break through what we kind of call colloquially as survival mode, right? Where mm. when you've had to be so hyper independent for so long to take care of yourself, it's so hard to ask people for help and to let yourself rely on people. And so when when you're struggling with that, as well as very everyday practical concerns of like, where am I sleeping? Where, mm -hmm. it's like, where am I sleeping? Where's my next meal coming from? Um, am I gonna get this job? Am I gonna get that interview? Stuff like that. It's It becomes really difficult to even think about turning your brain off long enough mm -hmm. to let someone step in and help you. And so something, I remember all of us talking about is just how do we show them that it's okay now mm. how do we show them that we're here and that we are reliable and we're here to stay because i think you're absolutely correct that's just something that so many youth especially youth coming from or like aging out of care that's just something they don't experience they don't have a concept of mm-hmm Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that one of the key things I have found in my work with young people is that they really appreciate the fact that you care. Because I, I find that they feel that nobody cares about them, that they are surplus to requirement in, in, in certain family settings. And knowing that there is this social worker or this person um, in your life who genuinely cares about your outcomes, who genuinely wants uh, the best for you and is um, considerate of your welfare. It's very important. Um, and so when we say, you know, we're gonna help you find housing, we're going to give you a rent subsidy to kind of get you through the first few months till you maybe find a job and you're able to pay the rent entirely on your own. Hey, here's some grocery cards to help you with your food and send me your resume, let's take a look. We, we'll start helping you look for a job. Um, it just, it brings a, such a sense of hope. You can see the hope that it brings because it's like, okay, you know, I'm not a lost cause. Um, I'm worth investing in. I'm worth supporting. I'm worth being here on this earth. What is something that you would want people listening who might be in a situation similar to yours years and years and years ago when you um, didn't really know anything about youth homelessness? What is something that you would say to people like that today? 
if we don't open our eyes to our society and what is really happening in our society, if we just continue to ignore these situations like they they don't exist, um, it's going to come back to bite us. Because, you know, there, there are lots of things which we see, you know, schools going on hold because there's been some sort of violent incident outside of the school and all those kinds of things. And it's only at that point sometimes when people actually think to themselves, okay, what is going on in society? But the reality is, is that we should be our brother's keeper and we should have what I call social awareness. And social awareness is about being aware of what is happening in our society, being aware of the fact that, you know, people are finding themselves homeless or people are finding themselves having to go to the food bank. Um, and then doing something with that awareness. What can I do? Because everybody can do something. So you may be in a situation where financially you need help. So maybe you can't come with the financial help, but maybe you could volunteer. Maybe you could tell somebody who you know has a spare room, hey, why don't you take in a young person from rest? Um, this is the organization, this is the policies and the procedures that they they adopt. And, you know, it would be such an important thing for you just to, you know, give somebody that uh, shelter dignity, so to speak. Youth homelessness in Peel has only increased in 2022. And as we head into a recession and face the housing crisis for yet another year, our youth need help more than ever before. Nikima and Jackie have shown us what it's like to peer into the lives of homeless youth as service providers. And if there's anything we should take away from this conversation, it's not to give up hope for a better world. Because together, we can move mountains and change lives. I leave you all with this. Nikima, Jackie. Where do you want this discussion to go? What should I and our listeners tackle first? We need to start by having open minds, having open and frank conversations, by collaborating more. And when I say collaborating, there are collaborations happening at organizational levels but you had asked about stakeholders and I spoke to a myriad of stakeholders in the society. And I think really acknowledging that as it stands enough is just not being done. And when and where will we actually be belling the cat? We have to do more. I call upon our community to be more supportive of our youth give them a chance we all have faced situations that we would want a second chance and i'm not saying it's necessarily going to be easy but in our program we allow for potential landlords to connect with our clients so if you are there and you have a space in your home it could be a basement as long as it's you know a legal basement it could be a room it could be a suite, whatever it is. And you, I want persons to look now to say, how can I help? How can I pay it forward? What can I do? Because the buck stops with each of us. 
we look at social problems so we look at homelessness or we look at poverty but it's not homelessness it's john it's jackie it's jill and i think it's important that we start to recognize that there are people behind those numbers so you know it's not 15% it's this family who's fallen on hard times or it's this young person who was you know put on a plane and sent to Canada from Afghanistan hasn't been in touch with her family in how many years you know everybody has a story everybody has a back story and so i just would like people to remember not to look at social problems in a generic way or look at statistics in a generic way but to remind themselves that there are people with real stories and you know real kind of situations um, behind every number and behind every situation this wraps up this episode of homelessness and hiding our youth between the cracks if you are interested in supporting a cause tackling youth homelessness, I invite you to visit our website, restcenters.org. That's R-E-S-T-C-E-N-T-R-E-S dot org to learn more about our mission and how you can support the cause. If you found solace here, learned something new, or think we have something of value to offer, you can subscribe to the show so you'll never miss an episode. Until next time, I'm Maya Moniz, signing off. This podcast has been brought to you by The Rest Centers through the special dedication of our advocacy podcast coordinator, Maya Moniz, our director of youth engagement, Romaine Redman, and Rest's executive director and founder, Dag McCoy. This podcast is also brought to you by the Peel Alliance to End Homelessness and the special dedication of their program coordinator and analyst, Daphna Nussbaum. The thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast are exclusively those of the hosts and guests involved and have no affiliation with the Restoration and Empowerment for Social Transition Center or the Peel Alliance to End Homelessness.